Hello again, everybody. This is uh, Jason Powers. I'm doing a broadcast on defeat. And today we will be talking about defeat. A great deal can be said about this topic. From each of our lives through experiences to politics and war, defeat is never an easy topic to broach. Most of us want to feel like there never is a defeat, never an ending where we lose. This is not possible in a lifetime. Maybe most importantly, a sound measure is how one copes with winning. What do the victors do? How do they approach the defeated? These are a few of the questions I have and uh, we'll discuss today um, in regards to many topics, including the election of uh, 2020 and the responses we've seen from um, different people in politics, uh, particularly in D.C., and how we should go forth from here. And we're back. Uh, I had a little problem with my mic earlier. Um, So... Today I'm going to talk about defeat, but first we're going to talk about a second bite or a second chance that's being pursued, um, and we'll just let let the man speak for himself instead of me trying to um, uh, ascertain everything for you. So here's um, Patrick Burns, who was working with uh, Sidney Powell and various other people, including Mike Lindell, uh, who have... Uh, decided that they're going to come forth with uh, some uh, the, a reveal of uh, information regarding the 2020 election. So here's his interview uh, he uh, he just done recently on April 13th. Well, it's interesting. I, I, uh, I was part of or I caused a poll to be taken, a national poll to be taken in, uh, one week ago by a national polling firm that is using uses automated equipment, so it's very, you're taking all the human, you know, the pollster questioning out of it, so it's very trustworthy in my view. And when asked, American adults say that the November 20 presidential election was determined because of fraud played a role that was significant or very significant, it's 51.2% of, of the respondents. 51.2% are saying, aren't, aren't believing the party merit line. And that's interesting because the sample size, actually, the sample skewed left, 40 to 29 Dem Republican. And if you chew that up for how it generally actually is in the population, it's more, it's looking like about 64% of the population, of the adult population, believes that the that fraud played a significant or very significant role in Joe Biden's victory. So what are they going to do? They got to say, declare us all domestic terrorists? Clear 64% of the population domestic terrorists. At some point, is there some number at which point they become the domestic terrorists? So uh, the mood of the country is given that, that it's surreal. What I hear from all over the country is people feel like they're living in some kind of fake reality. Um, however, it's they're waiting for the counteroffensive, and the counteroffensive is launching now. And I have some, I'm, I'm part of 
processes, and I am aware of this new data that has become available, and <clears throat> some slice of it will be filed, I believe will be filed in Michigan, showing what really happened in Michigan. But I think Mike Lindell is filing a case, you know, within, within a matter of days, a case is getting filed by him. I'm not going to tell you the legal argument, that's a, but it's quite novel and interesting and, and persuasive. But in that case that he's filing, he's going to expose this data and the backstory on it. And now, he has already said this, so I will share this. He said this publicly. I'm trying to, that it, it shows, first of all, there are five states and an attack of 80, there were 80 cyber attacks that were successful within these five states. And they, uh, 19 of them, as he has he's made public, 19 of them out of China themselves account for flipping the entire, these five states. So the victory of five swing states can be attributed to enemy action out of China. So, and this is ironclad at this point. We have the computer, the forensics, the IP, the, we have all the information one needs. We have the affidavits of technical experts, everybody who's involved. This is ironclad. Okay, might as well have videotape of the hands on the keyboard. So it's going to be quite interesting. The Supreme Court has to get involved. It's, it's, there's no way, once this information is public through this lawsuit, and I have right on this phone, as you know, I've shown you the, the actual table of the full data. And this is, well, I'll, I'll tell you, since Mike is, has, it's a, uh, 80 attacks flipped 2.2 million votes in these five states. There, uh, 19 of those accounted for half a million votes, 522,000 that were enough to flip the five states, just those. But this is just talking about those five states. There's 45 other states and there were 1,500 successful cyber attacks. Incidentally, the, it turns out, Here's another shocking thing to come out of this. This hammer, this is hammer and scorecard. Hammer is the tool that breaks open the election systems and scorecard is the one that, you know, the thing that manipulates the votes. They have access to 150,000 machines around the world, 150,000 for various brands around the world. This hammer is built, comes preloaded with the credentials of 4,000 U.S. government employees from Secretary of State down to county election workers, the janitor, the assistant janitor, all these, all the credentials, computer credentials are preloaded within Hammer. Um, so they can access the, so all the way up to secretaries of states, of, I think all 50 states or close to all 50 states are in this system. We uh, we have, so we have all that with all the access. If I wanted to, I could have, 50 secretaries of state send out emails that says, everyone go book, buy the book Deep Capture. I've actually thought of that, how funny that would be. So let them come out and say, wait, wait, or we were all hacked. 4,000 government officials were hacked. Uh, in which case, that would kind of prove my point. But I think of, uh, if I asked, if 4,000 government officials sent out at one time an email that said, go buy a copy of the Deep Rig, my book on this election, how can they say that was hacked? But no, we can promise you our election. We, yeah, we have all their credentials now ourselves.
I've not heard that. I've not heard that. Could be true. I've not heard that before. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, we... Does this mean that they've been flipping elections around the world for some time? Yeah, I don't want to go there yet. Let's keep... How do you how do you get the public to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> this, this... So, they do have this. They've had it since, oh, since 03, 04. And uh, we, we have... We've... Well, they're going to say... We stole it. I don't know how they're going to respond, but we we have it. We have the data. We have everything. But how? Well, let's just let's sort of take let's sort of theorize here. How do you think you're you're Hillary Clinton? And you know, the, the, we've all heard the Hillary Clinton statement. You know, if he wins, uh, we're all going to hang. How do you think they're going to respond when they see this information come out? They think they own technology. They do own Silicon Valley. They own the media. But we've become very resourceful as alternative media and the. going to go before the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has to look at this, and there's no way if they can't get I mean, we have everything you need it, ironclad, the computer, hardcore all the all the da data records that you need if the Supreme Court doesn't I can't imagine they cannot find four people on the Supreme Court who will sign off and say yes, this has to become a case and once they do that I, there's no there's no conclusion possible other than one that some of us reached on around November 10th, and that is this, this election was an egg that cannot be unscrambled. There's zero reliability at this point uh, in this. So it's interesting. He thinks that, um, well, they're going to go with original jurisdiction if they're going to go through the Supreme Court. This, uh, well, he mentioned Michigan, so I don't see how it's going to get through the Michigan courts anytime quickly because the Michigan courts are just as bad as all the rest of them. Because <clears throat> no judge wants to touch this because uh, there's being pressure put on them. So I don't understand. I mean, maybe there's two different lawsuits. One's going to be the, the two different evidentiary paths that they're, or um, uh, jurisdictional paths they're going through, and they're going to present evidence in two different uh, venues. I don't know if that's the case. But it sounds like he would have to go through original jurisdiction to uh, to, to go through uh, the Supreme Court because otherwise, I mean, the Supreme Court could kick the can down the uh, down the road and and ostensibly just avoid the issue completely. And he, he thinks that there'll be four justices that'll sign off on this. Um, we've already seen that the last. Um, the Texas lawsuit uh, where they had 17 states and they said they didn't have standing or they used some uh, wiggle. They weaseled out of uh, hearing the case because we have John Roberts on the uh, court and he's going to pressure. I think Thomas will do the right thing. Uh, uh, we've also heard uh, seen that uh, I think uh, Sam Alito is uh, I think uh, there was only two judges that uh, actually I think uh, signed off, and it was uh, Thomas and Alito who were uh, that ruled on the or didn't rule, but uh, said something in regards to the case of uh, I think the Texas case. I don't either was a Texas case or another case that was involving involving the election that actually got to them. And the problem is, is that the Supreme Court with uh, Kavanaugh, who's a Bush lackey. And uh, Coney Barrett, who who's shown that she's probably just a simpleton and doesn't won't uh, rock the boat. She may just be uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg light. Um, 
won't stand up for anything. Uh, she's just she's just happy to get on the, now that she's on the court. Now she's just going to go along to get along and, and, and won't rock the boat, won't do her do what she said she was going to do. But that was predicted by people like Robert Barnes and a few others that uh, she was going to be uh, less than, let's um, say, less than forthcoming or about what her actual belief system is and uh, less than forth, uh, less than certified as a conservative voice, though. I mean, you know, in the on the left's point of view, they don't really care. I mean, he'll he'll go into that, but just that I just had to stop it there because I think of, think that there's going to be four judges that are actually four Supreme Court judges that will actually look at this. I mean, that's that's really I mean, <laughs> I, I have a hard time believing that that these four there's four there won't be any liberal judges so that that ends it right there and since we're talking about judges we'll, we're gonna do a quick this is a quick snippet from an interview with uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, so the uh, uh, the house has introduced uh, a potentiality they have a house bill to pack the Supreme Court by raising the number of judges from nine to thirteen. Um, so I'm going to go look at that article real quick. Uh, yeah, they've, uh, but anyway, just to go back to the, her video, she, she mentions what she thinks of the court backing system. Uh, if I can get this to roll here. There are some people on the democratic side who would like to increase the number of judges. I think that was a bad idea when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to pack the court. He mentioned before um, the court appearing partisan. Well, if anything would make the court appear partisan, it would be that. One side saying, when we're in power, we're going to enlarge the number of judges so we will have more people who will vote the way we want them to. Now, I'll so there, that's there. Yeah, there's a bill in front of. So yeah, he wrote an article about this. I'm not gonna. Yeah, the report is. Uh, yeah, and they're also they got a um, a session. Um, that was it called? They've uh, the Intercept reported Wednesday evening. Con- Congressional Democrats plan to unveil a legislation expanding the size of the Supreme Court on Thursday. According to three congressional sources familiar with a closely held measure, it would add four seats. The bill is led by House Judiciary Committee Chair Jerry Nadler, Subcommittee Chair Hank Johnson, and Freshman uh, Representative Mondaire uh, Jones. In the Senate, the, the bill is being championed by Ed Markey of Massachusetts. So the proposal comes less than a week after President Biden signed an executive order creating a commission to study the question of whether the Supreme Court should be expanded. Uh, so the commission is headed by partisan Democrats. So this is just coming from Breitbart. Uh, so they kept it pretty much on point as far as what that's concerned. But it, this goes to the matter of defeat. So since uh, since uh, the the Democrats took uh, hold of power, and they'll say elections have consequences, and they'll use all their talking points to get around the the idea that uh, they know they didn't win the election. Uh, they certainly didn't win a mandate by any stretch of the imagination, uh, despite the eighty one million votes. I mean, you have to be deluded to think that he that Joe Biden got eighty one million votes when his predecessor Barack Obama 
<laughs> didn't get, but 69 million, and the population hasn't increased so so, so substantially that uh, there was all this extra support, and yet Joe Biden has like no popularity. Doesn't go do it. To, if he was so popular, why hasn't he had massive crowds everywhere he goes when he goes someplace? If he goes someplace, he won't go anyplace because there's no massive crowds. Nobody, nobody really supports him. There may be, a, there may be, a, there's a block out there that supports him, but they don't, they don't support him based upon his, you know, personality. They don't support him based upon his uh, abilities. They don't base him on his policy. Well, the only policies they care about are Gibbs, which are they just want something for nothing. They want something from somebody out there uh, on the on the Biden administration to give them something. They just want free stuff. They want free free everything. This is the way the left operates anymore. And the left has hijacked any political discussion in this country. And I say they've hijacked it because they have. we have a growing, I'll say they're growing or I'll at least say that they're a sustainable, there's a sustainable interest of idiots out here that are wrecking this country and they are they are dangerous. They are people that have no concept of law and order. They have no concept of rights. They have no concept of what it is to be told no. And they have no concept of, of what it is to really be punished for what their actions are. And they are worth punishing. There are Antifa members. There are BLM members. There's radical. There's even radicals on the far right that, that belong in this group that, that go around just making trouble for wherever they go. Not as many. I, I, I will qualify that. The vast majority, the overwhelming majority of them, I'd say 85 to 95 percent of them, are on the left-hand side of the political spectrum. They, they're communists. They're Marxists. They're people who, who live on Twitter, who live on these extremist platforms. And Twitter now is an extremist platform. It's extremist because it doesn't believe in free speech. It has no has no rulings that are verifiable. It joins YouTube, and that they are censorous. If they don't, if you don't promote the policy or pr- promote uh, certain ideas that they are in favor of, which are usually radical and extreme, yet yeah, common sense and decency and and ideas and truth and evidence based, uh, based in actual analysis uh, instead of pushing narratives like the who like. Uh, like, for example, the election or the World Health Organization or COVID or lockdowns or uh, numerous other topics that they find find verboten to talk about, especially especially if you have the medical or the, uh, what would you say, credentialed expertise to, to make a statement, they'll suspend you. They'll get rid of you. They'll de-platform de- de- you. They'll deplatform journalists who back up everything they say with actual articles. They just got rid of one of the better independent journalists in James Corbett off of uh, YouTube forever. He spent 14 years building a platform there. He had about 600,000 followers. And, uh, I mean, he's, he has his own independent website. And he's he's all over the internet with uh, Odyssey and Rumble and various other platforms that he's uh, attached to. But that isn't the point. He spent he he showed up on YouTube back in 2007, and he just did his final. He has a backup channel there, but he is not he's not gonna. I don't think he's gonna post there anymore. He just posted a, a goodbye, kind of a goodbye video. He just said, "Well, you know, he spent a long time putting uh, information out, 
like 1500 videos over the course of 14 years and it's kind of um kind of disturbing that uh all his uh work has uh been flushed down the toilet by youtube because his last video was uh touching on those uh topics that they uh dislike they don't like to hear they it was about science and uh uh the fact that uh science now is just what one motivated uh billionaire thinks and what he decides to who he employs and and the various people that are attached to that particular ideology and how they've uh they've contorted science to to be that if you don't agree with them then they're going to punish you it's amazing in the past quarter century and this is where the defeat comes into play that um when i graduated college in 1996 so it's been 25 years since I graduated college. Uh, the internet was just a baby, essentially. I remember my first uh, interactions with the internet in, in the uh, early 90s, like 92, 93, while I was here at Purdue uh, University. And uh, I still live, I'm now living in West Lafayette, so it's right by nearby. So at that time, you know, it was just then it was an embryo. It was a. Uh, it wasn't even a formed life. I mean, uh, Yahoo went public in 1995, so late 1995, I think. So we're talking the uh, the reason why I connected to uh, Yahoo, for example, is Yahoo was like the first big uh, platform for search. Uh, it was a place where you went to initially to look up things. I can still remember. I remember the classic Yahoo uh, opening page was. You had like topics, and then you had little subtopics underneath of them, and then you would you would click on the subtopic, and then underneath that, then there would be a list of other links, and then that you know it was a it was basically a bookmark. So if you looked up history, you'd have like at that time it was like a few hundred links or whatever could be, and then each one of those links might take you somewhere else. So it was a it was a, a prism. The search bar was kind of eh. It wasn't that big of a deal, but that wasn't the point. The idea was as a way to go to your favorite websites once you developed what those, those were. And it would, uh, you know, the hyperlinking and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going off on a tangent here, but the idea was is at that point, everything was new. It was free, uh, free in terms of uh, just, you know, there was no restrictions. And there was no people weren't weren't trying to manage and control this. Uh, no one, no one sat there and said, "No, you can't say this." And of course, you had things that that popped up, and it, it, it became more and more obvious that there was going to be bad elements and introduced into the situation. But for the first five or so years after I graduated uh, college, you know, everybody saw the internet uh, saw the internet for the the vast opportunity it was. Obviously, the corporations did. How many how many corporations were born on there? And how many of those cor corporations uh, have been defeated? <laughs> uh, you don't remember, you know, you don't hear much about uh, a fog dog and uh, Alt Vista, and you don't hear about uh, old uh, versions of either Search or G like Ask Jeeves or other ones like that that um, that have long since departed or been gobbled up by you know some other entity of some sort or uh, um what would you call it storefronts that were the initial versions of the uh, web 1.0 online commerce and then you had others like amazon that were born in the latter 
part of the 90s that are what they are today. Uh, they're they're, they're multi, almost multi-trillion dollar organizations now. They're at least worth over a trillion dollars, at least on a market cap. And so you had a lot of defeat. The market chose. Uh, people decided to, to, to follow certain trends based upon what their freedom was, the freedom and the belief is. I used to have a, in 1999, I had a GeoCities uh, website, and it was Web.1. I had a blog there. I had 